Here we go. First Kings 17.1. We're talking tonight about living generously. And so we're going to have a lot of preaching coming up this week. I may just talk, but you know how I am. I end up preaching. First Kings chapter 17, verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite. Now this, you remember we talked about Elisha uh, this morning. Elijah, this was his mentor, the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Arab, or Ahab, uh, he... That's another whole story. But Ahab was, was king, and, and he, he was just a backslider, I guess is the only way to say it. As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward. Everybody say eastward. eastward. And hide thyself by the brook uh, Shereth, that is, before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. See there? If you just head to east wind, you're going to have everything. All your needs are going to be met. Head to the east. Verse 5. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the brook Sheriff that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came again unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he rose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Never met her before. Hey, why don't you go get me something to drink? Boy, wouldn't that, can you imagine doing that nowadays? And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray, the morsel of bread in thine hand. Don't just come back with water. I think I'll have a little something to eat also. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal and a barrel and a little oil and a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. We, you, you ain't talking to somebody here that's just got unlimited supplies in their cupboard. We're getting ready to die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me therefore a little cake first. Woo, hallelujah. And after, make for thee and for thy son. She just said we got enough for a last meal and we're going to die. And he said, okay, that's what you want to do. But before you get to that, give me a little something to eat. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. How many of you know he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever? <laughs> Living generously. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Living generously. You know, God is a, he's a God of abundance, isn't he? What a great God we serve. 
He's always given double portion. He doesn't just give you enough, you know, to get through the day. I mean, I've, I've had experiences, as I'm sure you have, where you deal with minimalistic thinking. Um, sometimes, you know, when you're just eating cereal and you don't know what else to do with your time, you just kind of read the cereal box and you start thinking, oh, this is so crazy. You know, you're eating your Cocoa Puffs and there's something in there about some sort of a decoder ring that will break into the KGB secret vault of spies and secrets. And you think, oh, that's so silly. The more you read before long, you're pouring all the thing out to get to this toy to figure out what in the world that thing is that they're advertising. And you always are disappointed. You make it sound like it's going to be something that never is. But they have these three words sometimes on cereal boxes. Minimum daily requirement. I got to thinking about that one morning when I was reading the cereal box while eating cereal. Minimum daily requirement. And I looked at those Cocoa Puffs in the bowl and I thought, there's just enough nutrition in that so that I don't fall over dead after eating it. Doesn't say maximum. It says minimum daily requirement. That's the kind of world we live in. Everything's just minimum. What's the bare minimum that we can do and and uh, and, and get through? You know, if you've ever uh, ordered one of these uh, bags of potato chips in a machine, you know, and you get excited and you pull the lever and put the money and now you do that by credit card swipe too and it falls and you wonder if anything ever landed because you couldn't hear it. And you reach in there and that thing just about chews your arm off and you get the bag out. And then it's like, what in the world, you know? And uh, you look at the bag and you're like, I think I just bought air. And you look on the side of the bag and it says vacuum packed. And you think, I didn't pay for vacuum, I paid for chips. But you break the seal on the top of the bag and poof, the air comes out and six chips fall down to the bottom. And that may be the way that Frito-Lay works or maybe the way that our world works. But I'm going to tell you something right now. That's not the way God works. He says, come and dine. The master calleth, come and dine. He will give you a double portion. He is a God of abundance. He gives above and beyond what we need. He is a God that doesn't rip you off. And you think, well, I thought he was going to do this and that, and then it didn't happen. God is a God of abundance. He's a God that blesses beyond our wildest imagination. Have you ever looked at nature and thought, what is, nature is so beautiful. You see that little bird flying by and it's got a, a red belly and it's got a yellow beak and blue wings and, and it looks so beautiful. You can tell it was a great creator that designed it and created it and made it colorful. He could have just made it a dull gray like it just flew through Louisiana or something. But he didn't. He brought... We love you, Brother Mangy. But instead he made it so beautiful, colorful. Because that's the kind of God that we serve. He's a God of abundance. We all need water, right? Everybody knows you need water to survive. He covers two-thirds of the earth with water. He didn't have to do that. He could have just put a little lake somewhere in the middle of Arkansas and said, everybody's got to go there to get water. Got to go through Louisiana to get to Arkansas. I don't know why I'm picking on Arkansas and Louisiana. But he doesn't. He gives the whole earth cover because God is a God of abundance. That's why I don't understand why people want to be tight-fisted with God. 
Why would you get tight-fisted with the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? Heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. You ought to be generous with your praise. You ought not to just come and say, Oh, thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Okay, I worship the Lord. You ought to be exuberant. You ought to give him generous praise. You ought to be generous with your time, generous with your worship, generous with your giving. Oh, if you can learn to live a life of generosity, you're going to have a much happier life. So the question that we have tonight is simply this. Why does God want me to be generous? So I'm going to give you eight reasons. And don't be fearful. If I take too long on points one and two, it doesn't mean that points three through eight will be the same length of time as points one and two. Okay? Have you ever heard preachers say, I got eight points, and they spend a half hour on the first point, and you say, oh, dear Lord, help us. I don't want you all to be all freaked out. We're, we're going to get through this. But here's eight reasons. Number one, why does God want us to live generously? Number one, giving makes me more like God. He's a generous God, right? James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. That means generously. And upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. God so loved the world that he gave. To become like him, you have to give. You have to have a giving spirit. In fact, you can't love without giving. You know, if you love, you'll give. Isn't that right? You love God, you give generously. If you, if you love your spouse, you give. Some of you were generous when y'all were dating. You wanted her to think you had all kind of money. You were buying here and buying there and buying this and that. And then after y'all got married, all of a sudden you got tight-fisted. We don't have money for that, honey. I just want ketchup on my hamburger at McDonald's. Nope, that's too much. That's extra. I mean, you can, you can express your love, but if you're not willing to back it up with some funds, I'd at least get the ladies to say amen. But this is what David learned. And this, this is where I got to read a few verses. And I tried to just cherry pick. Do y'all want first Chronicles 29 is where I'm going. I'm going to start reading in verse one. Now I want you to think about this for a moment because the Bible says that David was a man off after God's own heart. And David was probably the most generous, probably the most generous giving person in the Bible other than Jesus Christ. He was, he, he was generous in his worship. We know that, right? He's known for writing all these Psalms. He's so generous, he had to have the biggest book in the Bible. Psalms. He says one song after another, after another, after another, after another. And, and he was generous, but it wasn't just in that. He was generous with his giving. Now, he wanted to build the Lord a, a special temple that was going to be unlike anything else. And he wanted to do it because he wanted to glorify and honor God. God had blessed him. He was, you know, the most powerful nation at the time of Israel. Jerusalem was the capital. It was up on a hill. It was an amazing place. And, and, and David was king and the nation of Israel was feared by all the surrounding God. And, and, and David said, Lord, you blessed me so much. I want to bless you. I want to build the temple. And the Lord said, nope, you're not going to do it because you've got bloody hands, but your son will. Now, he could have just got all puffed up and got a bad attitude about all of it and said, well, I can't believe God's not going to use me. But instead, watch what he did. First Chronicles 29, verse 1. Furthermore, David 
the king said unto the congregation, Solomon, my son, whom alone God hath chosen, he's not going to let me do it, is yet young and tender, and the work is great, for the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now I have prepared with all my might. Everybody say, all my might. might. I've prepared with all my might for the house of my God. He'd been saving his whole life for this. And God said, you're not going to build it, your son's going to build it. But that didn't discourage David. He said, the gold for things to be made of gold and the silver for things of silver and the brass for things of brass. He'd been putting things back. He'd been collecting gold and silver and brass, the iron for things of iron, the wood for things of wood, onyx stones and stones to be set, glistering stones and, and of diverse colors and all manner of precious stones and marble stones in abundance. I mean, there was no limitation to what David wanted to give to the work of God. Verse 3, Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver. He's saying this is stuff that I own personally, which I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. He's saying, it's not that I've been stingy all these years holding this back. This is above and beyond what I've done. Even 3,000 talents of gold or the gold of Ophir and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the house with all. That's a lot of silver when you're going to use it to overlay the walls. That's a whole bunch of silver. The gold for things of gold. Silver and all manner to be made by the hands of artificers and, and who then is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord. In other words, we're going to build this. I need some talented people that know how to you know, carve and put all of this together. You know, we need some dick sizes over here to start helping us build this thing. And, and it's going to be beautiful. And, and I've got all the raw materials, but I need some people with talent. Then the chief of the fathers and princes of the tribes of Israel, and the captains of thousands and of hundreds with the rulers of the king's work offered willingly and gave for the service of the house of God of gold, 5,000 talents and 10,000 drams and of silver, 10,000 talents and of brass, 18,000 talents and 100,000 talents of iron. And, and they with whom precious stones were found gave them to the treasure of the house of the Lord by the hand of Jehovah the Gershonite. And the people rejoiced for they offered willingly because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. I was reading commentaries on this. They estimate that in today's money it was over a billion dollars that was given. To build this temple. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Watch this, verse 12. Both riches and honor come of thee. I hope you got that. Riches and honor come from God. It didn't come from your education. It doesn't come from your job. You could lose your mind tomorrow and never be able to earn another dime. Riches come from the Lord. If you got a good job, you ought to thank God for it. Hallelujah. If you got some money in the bank, you ought to thank God for it. If you've got anything at all, it's because of the generosity of your heavenly Father. Riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might. And in thine hand 
It is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, our God, we I and what is my people that we should be able even be able to do this? Offer so willingly after this sort for all that come of thee and of thine own have we given thee. Think about that. He's saying everything that I have, it come from you, Lord. And when I'm generous, I'm going to grow more like God. I'm going to be more like my Savior. When I can say, Lord, I want to give you. You have blessed me beyond my wildest imagination. But Lord, I want to give to you. I want to give to the cause of Christ. I say to you today, you're never closer to the heartbeat of God than when you have a spirit of generosity to say, I'm going to give freely of my time. I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to go ahead and witness. I'm going to go ahead and stand on the street corner like some of our college and career did this past weekend. To say, hey, we want you to come to Palm Bay Outpouring. Hallelujah. I'm going to be generous with my time. I'm going to be generous with my prayers. I'm going to be generous with my worship. I hope when we get in that high school auditorium that we don't get there and all sit back on the bleacher and watch the show like we're at a concert. We're coming to worship God. We're coming to lift up the Lord in that gym. We're coming and say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Woo! Living generously. What a blessing. All right, point two. Giving draws me closer to God. It'll draw you closer to God. Matthew six nineteen. Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust dust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where treasure is, there will your heart be also. I want you to think about that. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where's your heart today? It's wherever your treasure is. Notice that the treasure is there first. For where the treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where do you, where do you put your treasure? Because that's where your heart is. Is it the bank, bank accounts, house, boat, business, investments? Wherever I put my money, it becomes a great big magnet. That draws my heart to that. So guess what? Every time I give to the Lord, guess what happens to my heart? It follows after. You want to get closer to God? Give generously. And the heart, like a magnet, follows where you put your treasure. Wherever you're putting your treasure, there will your heart be also. It'll just follow it. So giving is spiritual aerobics because it's good for your heart. I said, it's good for your heart. And I'm going to tell you something else. It's contagious. Those of you that have small children, do you love whenever they do something really generous? Like they're playing with their friends and they say, oh, here, I want you to have this toy. And you go, oh, what a special child I have. Because you know their flesh is, give me. That's mine. And ripping it out of the hand and trying, you got a referee and all that. But then when something happens and your child says, I want you to have this. You're like, oh, it's an angel. Well, guess where? They, they saw that. They saw that from watching their parents. If you're unselfish, your kids will be unselfish. We were eating lunch today with Bishop Dr. Myers, and we were talking about some of these principles. And my, my father said, you know, 
I, I believe in giving. I've seen it all my life. I said, yeah, absolutely. That's where I got it from. And now I see my kids and I see how generous with they, they are. They make pledges to go. They don't even have a job. And I'm like, how's this going to work? They figure it out somehow. I don't know how they do it. But I see their generosity and I realize that it's because that's what they've seen. Oh, my friend, if you want to have joy, see your kids be generous and realize uh, that it's coming down from the heavenly father. Oh, that's showing you and he's working through you and he's working through your kids. uh, And he's given us a heart and a spirit to say, Lord, uh, I'm not going to live and serve you uh, with a clenched fist. I'm going to say, God, uh, whatever I have, it's because of your goodness. uh, And I'm going to bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, because giving is an act of worship. It is God. Number three. Giving breaks the grip of materialism. We talked about this this morning. I think we would all agree that it's it's not easy to keep our values straight living in this, this country of wealth and affluence. And that's one reason that we engage in missions so much. You know, when we go overseas and we do these mission trips and, and we have, you know, men that go and we build churches and orphanages and medical clinics. Some of you have been to Dominican Republic or Haiti or um, the Amazon, Peru. We built four churches. Every time... We go. We always go to minister to, to build to leave it at, at a better you know place than when we came. And and uh, we've gone with other churches. We've joined with Brother Andrews and the church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We've gone with Brother Joel Urshan and joined with the church in Cincinnati. And there, it was always a great camaraderie. It was always a lot of fun. But we always come back being more blessed than we were able to be a blessing to them. Because you know what? When you come back, you've got such a heart of appreciation. And you say, Lord, you have blessed me, not just for my own comfort level. But when I see what happens when I try to... I mean, you got men have to sacrifice a week from their jobs to go and do this. And when you are engaging in those things, it puts your priorities right. You, you, you begin to have an appreciation for things that you didn't have before. You know why? Because you're doing what the Bible talks about doing. You're giving of yourself liberally. You're, you're giving of your time. You're giving of your resources. You're giving of your talent and your effort and your, and, and your strength and your energy. And all of that, God sees it all and blesses you. And you come back home and then you're here and you begin to say, here I get adjusted into an American culture and I get upset if they they didn't press my clothes right at the cleaners or I get upset because somebody's driving slow in the left-hand lane and you think to yourself I've got nothing at all to ever be upset about when I think of the goodness of Jesus uh, I'm able to go to a beautiful church with beautiful people and lift up my hands and feel the presence of God I've got a great wife and I got great kids and I got a great God hallelujah and God has blessed me to live in the greatest country I still think it's the greatest country in the world If you don't think that, you ought to travel a little bit. It's still the best place in the world to live. And God has blessed us with all of that. Oh, my friend, you ought to have a generous spirit to say, God, you've done so much for me. So how do we protect ourselves from the spirit of the age? Only one way to do it, give. Giving is the only antidote for materialism. You say, well, what if I... What if I don't spend it? What if I just save? Saving can be materialistic as well. But every time you give, you break the grip of materialism on your life. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. And in case we want to know for sure what he's referring to, 
He makes it clear, you cannot serve God and mammon. That's money. You can't serve both. Which one is your master? Is it money or is it God? you got to choose. Who will be number one in my life? And if you're not sure how to judge that, you can look at your own life and see, is it hard for you to give? If it is, then you know what master you're serving. Or is it something that you can't hardly wait to give to the Lord? Then you know that the Lord is your master. Whenever you give, you get spiritual victory. This is why Satan fights it so hard. Because spiritual victory comes. Every time you are generous, your heart grows. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. It says, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good and that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Now, there's two things that come out of this passage that I think is so important. First of all, it says, who he gives, talking about the Lord, to us richly or generously, all things to enjoy. God doesn't intend for you to to live this, this life of beaten down, humbled existence. God is going to, the Bible says, He openeth His hand. We, we heard it even in the message in tongue that, that went forth this morning. He openeth His hand and satisfieth the desire of every living creature. If He cares about a squirrel running around from oak tree to oak tree, find an acorn, don't you think He knows where you are? Don't you think He knows what you're going through? He's got blessings for you that you cannot imagine. He is a God of abundance. He is a God of generosity. And He wants you to be able to enjoy Oh, hallelujah. If you put first the kingdom of God, He's going to bless you beyond your wildest imagination. There's nothing wrong with enjoying life. He's going to bless you to enjoy it and then to share it. Verse 18, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute. So the blessings of God are going to come with this ability for us to enjoy and for us to share. So model that. Let your, let your kids see you giving. They see you spending. They see you enjoying. But remember that it's contagious and you want to live generously because your kids will catch it as well and they will become givers. Number four, giving strengthens your faith. Giving strengthens your faith. Sooner or later, you got to decide, can God be trusted with my finances? You have to make that decision. Can he be counted on to keep his promises? 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. What's a cheerful giver? A generous giver. Well, I'm giving what I have to, but ah, it's not easy. <laughs> Or you can give generously. Saying, this is what I'm, I know I have to give, but this is what I want to give. And usually it's somewhere in the middle. This is what I will give. 
That's saying, Lord, I'm going to go above and beyond because he loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Verse 9, as it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both ministers bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness you know what that means, folks? The promises of God are established. The only uncertainty is us. The promises of God are established. So what's the bottom line? Do I have enough faith to claim them? That's what it all boils down to. Do we have enough faith to claim them? And there's only one way to prove that indeed we have enough faith. And that's by giving, by tithing. God says, I dare you. Test me. Put me to the test and see. If I won't bless you beyond your wildest imagination. Second Corinthians 9, 7, and 8. When you give, get excited about what God will do. Expect God to act. Not as an obligatory, uh, you know, some sort of a rite of passage or some sort of a routine or ritual. No, let it be from a heart that's full of thanksgiving. You know, during your lifetime, if it hadn't happened yet, it will. There will be special instances when God is going to challenge you to give sacrificially. I know a whole bunch of you are hoping it's not going to be tonight. <sighs> but at some point in your life, God is going to challenge you. And it may seem ridiculous. It, it probably is not going to make sense. But I just tell you tonight, I'm going to just tell you in advance, get ready for a great adventure. It's a great adventure. Yes, it is. And now I'm going to tell you something that I promised I would never say. I promised myself that I would never, ever mention this. But the Lord prompted me to share this with you tonight as I was preparing this message this week. And, and I hate to even say this because there is, there is Scripture about how that you shouldn't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. I always thought that meant don't tell your wife how expensive your hunting trips are. <laughs> but we also know there, there's, a, there's a principle about whatever you do, you do it without uh, acknowledgement. And so this, this is something that's been going on for three years, and I haven't said anything about it because I was determined not to. And the Lord just prompted me more than once over the past several days to, to share this with you, and then I'll tell you why I think he prompted me to just be transparent with you. Personally. I have been through three campaigns. You guys remember stewardship campaigns? How many of you have been around long enough to remember stewardship campaigns? Those of you, this is where you want to vote, because if you haven't, I'm going to start thinking we need another one. <laughs> stewardship campaigns where we all get together and we commit to give over a period of usually three years. And the Lord has used that and blessed us over the years. I mean, first it started out, we were at the other campus. Lord, give us this mountain. And then it was reaching for tomorrow today when we built the, the new life center. And then it was, you know, our debt reduction campaign uh, where we felt like the Lord was leading us to be debt-free. And all of these, God has blessed it and anointed it. it was, it's been an amazing journey. But in each one of those, uh, those campaigns, each time that we went into those campaigns, this has happened to me now three times. But we emptied out our savings to give to each one of those campaigns. Whatever savings that I had, I had put away... We gave it in those campaigns. So 
that was something that we didn't announce. It's just something that we did. We emptied out. Because what did we talk about this morning? When you have an empty vessel, what happens? God can bless it. So that's been over a period of a number of years ago. It's not something that just happened, you know, over the last couple of years. But what has happened over the last three years is that God has blessed me beyond my wildest imagination. And so, and so over, over the last three years, it started back in 2020 and we were, we were blessed and we were in the middle of COVID. We didn't know what all was going to happen. And so, um, we ended up, it was more than not taking a salary from the church. We, we did take a salary, but we gave back twice as much as we took. So you could say it's the equivalent of not taking a salary, but it was actually more than that because we gave back twice as, as much as we, as we were given uh, as pastor. And so that was in 2020. And I didn't know if it was ever going to continue. I thought maybe it's just for this COVID season and God has put it on our hearts to do this and uh, we're able to do it and we've been blessed. And so we're going to do it. We didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know how long. I remember when we couldn't, you guys, it seems like it was a hundred years ago. Do you remember? We didn't even know if we we're going to be able to have church again. Thank God we got a good governor that said, y'all have church. It's the absolute law of the land. My friend, uh, my friend Matt Staver, who, who just texted me before service, I don't even know if y'all heard about this, but have y'all heard about this breakout they had in the upper room in Jerusalem with everybody speaking in tongues over there? I'm going to tell you what, there's a worldwide revival that's coming down. My buddy Matt Staver texted me before service tonight. He said, and you got thrown out. We went over there together to Israel one time. Some of you were with us. And remember when we were in the upper room and we just started worshiping the Lord and they came and threw us out from the upper room and said we were worshiping too loud. And then we had a big conflict with uh, uh, Israel's security and all of that, but it was a deal. And so my buddy Matt Staver was telling me that, well, as you know, Matt Staver is the founder of Liberty Council and he's defended all through this COVID season. He's the, I mean, it's, you guys know because I used to work for him. But anyways, he, <laughs> it's so funny because when this COVID thing hit, he told us, you, I don't know if you remember, but I interviewed him right at the very beginning. It was like somewhere around the middle of March of year 2020. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm going to defend this guy over in the Tampa area, Rodney Howard Brown. Some of you may know that name. And uh, he's got a church over there in the Hillsborough County. The sheriffs, they've shut him down and said you can't do it. And, and he went and had church anyhow, and they're going to arrest him, and da-da-da. So he said, we're going to be filing a deal. And on the eve before they were to file their suit, Governor DeSantis, literally on the, on the night before, he released a, a, um, a note that said that churches were essential and this is a state statute and a state statute takes preeminence over every local municipality. In other words, counties and cities could not make laws to the contrary that would trump Sorry, I had to use that name. That would trump or take preeminence over the state statute. Did I lose y'all when I had to use that word? <laughs> so, so in one swoop of the pen, it was churches are essential, and that's the supreme law of the state, and you can't override it in your local municipalities. And you know what? They pulled their lawsuit. And the next Sunday, the sheriff of Hillsborough County was in church with Rodney Howard Brown and his gang over there in Tampa. 
And that started all of this that's taken place over the last three years that now they want, you know, want DeSantis to run for president. All of that because early on, the governor says churches are essential. In other words, uh, this is something that matters in our country. This is not just something we do because we don't have anything else to do. It's important to the fabric of our nation that we gather together. So, you know, we, we didn't know. We didn't want to have to let staff go. We didn't know how it was all going to pan out, but God blessed. Oh, my goodness, God blessed. We had, we had, there was more given financially in 2020 than there was in 2019. That's all of you. That's how great God is. And so we just rejoiced with it and we were blessed. And so we, we gave it back and, and God just continued to bless. And so I thought, you know, that's probably just a, that's probably just a one, once in, once in a lifetime deal. And then in 2021, we were blessed more than we were. I'm talking about us personally now, my wife and I, our family. We were blessed more in 2021 than we were in 2020. And so I told my wife, I said, honey, I always had a dream of doing this and I want to see if we can do it in the year 2021. She said, what's that? I said, I've always wanted to be a reverse tither. She said, well, what is that? Well, we walk in backwards when we bring our tithes. No. What, how? <laughs> well, this is a rough audience tonight, man. Y'all are a tough group. what is a reverse tither i said a reverse tither is where we give 90 percent and we live on 10 percent and the lord helped us in 2021 we were able to be reverse tithers in 2021 give 90 percent and live on 10 percent and then i thought well then that'll be the end of it and then in 2022 it got even better and I mean, it was like God just opened up the windows of heaven. I had to go buy a Tesla just so I don't give the money to the government. <laughs> and so in 2022, I was like, Lord, what are we going to do? And the Lord said, just keep being generous. Because there's more where that came from. And I said, okay. So in November, I wrote a $100,000 check to East Wind Pentecostal Church. And, and I, don't, I don't say that to brag about us. I say that to brag about God because God is faithful. Because God is a faithful God. Because He keeps His promises. But here's the three reasons why... I believe the Lord prompted us to share that with you is that number one, I want to keep growing in Christ. And what I've learned is that every time God blesses you, you have to empty out again. And it gets harder with each time because you feel like you've already done it. But then the Lord blesses you more and the test gets bigger. It's one thing to give a hundred bucks to the church. It's another thing to give a hundred thousand. I'm like, I'm probably never going to see this again. But you know what, folks? If we're going to trust God with our salvation, why would we not trust Him with our finances? The second thing and the second reason that I felt prompted to share that with you is that I will never, ever ask you to sacrifice more. 
up here talking about giving and I talk about paying tithes and sacrificing, I want you to know that we are living it. We're not just preaching it. This is who we are. This is what we believe. This was modeled by Bishop and Dr. Myers all my life. I remember one time they got a little savings together. I hope you don't mind. I don't, the Lord didn't give me permission to tell this part, Dad. I'll stand over there close by, and if I get out of bounds, you just yank on my coat. I remember years ago, whenever my parents finally got a little bit of savings and decided, I think y'all had saved like $10,000, and we drove up to North Carolina, and we decided we were going to buy a little cabin up there in North Carolina. And we went up there, and I went with them just to make sure that we stayed on track with our goals and that we actually did buy something. And so I was in the back seat encouraging, what about this place? What about that place? And my dad wanted something up high because you know how men are. We like to be up high looking down and that's peaceful for us. Not so much with Sister Myers. These little roads going all up there and she's like, oh God, I can't, uh, it's too small. We're going to fall off a cliff. So I tried to help them find the middle ground and all that. We went to North Carolina and we couldn't find anything that everybody wanted that we could afford that was in the budget. And so at some point in us driving around North Carolina, my dad says, I have an idea. Let's go back home and give it to the church. Do you remember this? And I thought that was the worst idea that I have ever. (laughs) And do you know that's exactly what they did? We came back home. And they gave it to the church. But you know what? God keeps good records, folks. Don't feel sorry for them because right after that, they finally did get a place. And when they got a place and they sold it, they doubled their money. I'm going to tell you something right now. Anything you give to the work of God, God keeps track of it and the blessing is going to come. Not just when you're in heaven. It's going to come in this earth right here, right now. So, man, I'm excited about 2023. <laughs> man, I get, I wake up every day. What's God going to do today? And then finally, and this is what I want to make on this one point. This, I say finally, this is just a sub point. I'm not on the eight right now. These three reasons why I shared that about my own personal finances. I've learned that you can't outgive God. I've learned that you can't outgive God. If you are faithful to what God is blessing you with, if you're faithful, sometimes you have to give when you're broke. Like this lady, she's getting ready to die. Why would the preacher be talking about give him a meal first? You know why? Because he knew the miracle was in the obedience. It takes faith to give. You have to sometimes give when you're broke, when there's nothing around. You give. You know why? Because that obligates heaven to bless you. The Bible says that God will not be mocked. You know what that means? You can't bless God and Him not bless you. He's not going to allow the enemy to mock Him and say, well, what about that person? They gave and you haven't blessed them. He's not going to allow it. You literally can obligate heaven to bless you. Now, it may be in finances. It may be in things that money can't buy. Well, I'm going to tell you what, if you've got a good marriage, that's, that's something money can't buy. 
If you've got good kids that love God and they're not running around acting like idiots, you ought to be thankful because money can't buy that. I mean, I can go on and on. If you've got strength, if you've got health, if, you, if you're in your right mind, if you can go to bed at night without having to take a bottle of pills, you are a blessed individual. God will bless you in ways that you can't even imagine. All right, I got to hurry. Number five. Am I getting too long? No, I got one vote. Thank you, Brother Scott. Here's number five. <laughs> Giving is a test of my maturity, my spiritual maturity. Life literally is a test. And one thing God is testing is our maturity, always. And he tests it through finances. I mentioned this this morning, but it's true that Jesus taught more about money than he did about heaven or hell or any other subject. In fact, half of the parables, 50% of the parables are about financial management. That's the word of God. Luke 16, 11. If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? So if I'm not faithful with the money on earth that God has put in my trust, and you know what that means? He's not going to trust me with greater spiritual responsibility in eternity. Everything right now in this life, folks, is temporary, and it's a test. It's a test. So point number six, giving is an investment for eternity. As we mentioned this morning, you can't take it with you. Burial suits have no pockets in them. You can't take it with you. But you can send it on ahead by investing in God's work. Jesus said, don't store up treasures on earth. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in, good, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. There's no greater investment than the kingdom of God. It's protected, it's proven, it has great dividends, and it has no risk. That's the best investment in your portfolio. Number seven, giving blesses us in return. Over and over in the Word of God, it says God blesses those who give to His work. We talked about Elijah and the oil with the famine. This is where the miracle happened. It's happened whenever she made the sacrifice to give to the prophet what little she had. There are some lessons from that. Number one, best time to give is when you're broke. Not when you got money. Number two, you can't outgive God. And number three, I will always reap more than I sow. God is always going to do more than what you did. Proverbs 22.9, the generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. That's what the NIV says. The nearly inspired version. NIV. <laughs> Trying to make this less painful. The KJV, King James Version, says bountiful eye. Bountiful eye. In other words, looking for opportunities to be generous. A bountiful eye. The generous in spirit. You're looking, what can I do to be a blessing? How can I be a blessing? What are all the different ways that God can bless us when we have a generous spirit toward Him. Well, first of all, He can increase our income. Second of all, decrease our expenses. He can decrease your expenses. He can protect your possessions. He can sustain your possessions. That's what He did to the children of Israel in the wilderness. They had clothes that never wore out. 
40 years you're walking in the desert. Heat, sand, vipers, critters, all kinds of wear and tear. Their shoes, the Bible says, never wore out. 40 years walking. I can't, you can't hardly get through four years with a good pair of shoes. 40 years their clothes never wore out. You know why? Because he can sustain what you have in your possession. He is a God that can protect everything that's in your possession. So God blesses faith, not bargaining. Faith is given in advance. I sacrifice to put God first. Bargain is God. Help me close this big deal. And if you do, I'll give you some of it back. That's bargaining. Lord, I'll give you 100000 if you'll give me a million. Is that sacrifice? Does that require faith? No, because it's going to be in your hand first before it goes in his hand. You've got to give it in advance. Does God work that way? Oh, yeah, he will bless when you give with faith. Because remember this, every promise has a premise. Every promise has a premise. And the premise of God's blessings in your life will always require faith. Faith is giving it first. You prime the pump when you give it first. Deuteronomy 15.10 Thou shalt surely give him and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him because that for this thing the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works and in all that thou puttest thine hand onto. I, I, I know you probably read that on the screen so you can't do this but if you had your Bibles it'd be great to circle that word all. That in all that thou puttest thine hand unto Oh, I feel sorry for people that's got a tight fist. They've never learned what it is to be blessed by God. It just means you're having a hard time trusting. It really is a trust. Giving is basically a trust issue. If you don't have any confidence in God, why trust Him with your eternity? If you can't trust Him with the temporal things, how can you trust Him with the eternal things? It's crazy that some people put their trust in God for the hereafter, but not for the here and now. Where's the logic behind that? You miss out on so many things. Don't let Satan rob you of what God is wanting to do in your life. I'm coming to a close. Number eight, giving makes us happy. <laughs> That's why the Bible says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Acts 20, 35, I've showed you all things, how that's so laboring you ought to support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. It feels good to give. You know that, don't you? If you're a giver, you know it. It feels good to give. Because really, life is made up of two different types of people. Givers and takers. Who do you think are the happiest people? Givers or takers? I had it good. <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing about this. But in my mind, I can just picture it. Patrick and Deborah, you know, you're from uh, Cathedral of Pentecost down there in Fort Lauderdale. Brother and Sister Elms are some of Sister Amy and I's best friends. And I found out this Tuesday night. It was after their Tuesday night service, guys. And my buddy, Pastor Elms, was putting his grandson, River, in the car. And he hadn't seen him for a few days. And he put him in there. And he put his wallet and his keys and his cell phone on top of Austin and Tessa's car. And he forgot about it. And he's, you know, singing. And he, he's a real extravagant person. Now, he's putting all these, ah, River, Papa loves River, Papa loves mine. And he's going through all And he gets River in there and he gets them all together and puts him in. And there and shuts the door, forgets about all this stuff in there. And his son and daughter-in-law drive off and go down. What is that, Pembroke Pines, that road in front of the church? And goes down the road and all that. And he goes back inside the church. And then he's like, uh-oh. Oh, I left it on top of the car. Well, he doesn't have a cell phone now to call his son and daughter-in-law. 
So he's trying to figure out what to do, and he, he's trying to work the phones in the church and call, and he calls his son, he can't reach him, he calls his daughter-in-law. They're already now on 595 going toward Fort Lauderdale. And he goes, I left. They're like, oh, you did? Yes. And he's got, in his wallet, he's got the same thing that I do because I copied it from him. We have this tag thing right here. So with our cell phone, we can locate where the wallet is. But if you lose your wallet and your cell phone... So they stopped. His, the cell phone had a magnet on it, so it hung on, even at 595. But his darling Tess said, I think the wallet dropped off in Pembroke Pine somewhere. And so uh, he goes, okay. He gets in his car, and he's going down the road. And he says, I'm looking and looking and looking at the wallet, and there I see it. He said, there was nobody on the road. And he said, I see my wallet. And he said, for some reason, instead of pulling off to the side of the road, and going out and getting my wallet and getting back in the car, I decide I'm going to just slow down. <laughs> and pick up the wallet as I drive by. So he said, I, I got the car, and I'm going up to it, going up to it. I put it in neutral, and I reached down to pick up the wallet, and I didn't plan it right. The wallet was too far under, and I... Try to, and when I reached up under the car, something snapped in my arm. And he said, then I realized I'm going to have to get in my right hand. So he said, uh, I tried to get over my right hand, and now I'm standing out in the middle of Pembroke Pines, and the car is still going down the road. And he says, I'm running now. My left arm won't work, but I'm running down Pembroke Pines after my car with one good arm. And gets in the car and gets over to the side and finally goes and gets his wallet. He said, I'm not in pain, but I realize when I tell this arm to move, it won't move. And he says, I reach up there on my arm and the bicep is gone. He said, David, my arm, it was so skinny. There was no bicep left. All my life I've worked on those biceps and in one moment they're gone. And he said, I looked down and the whole bicep was all rolled up right down here by my elbow. He was able to get into a doctor the next day and he said, you're not in pain because you didn't tear your bicep, but here's what you did do. You tore the tendon that holds the bicep to the bone. And we're going to have to, he's got to have surgery now and all this other stuff. So my buddy... And you can't even get in to go get an MRI. And I mean, he's got to wait. And, and he's got this arm that won't work. And a bicep rolled up down here at his elbow. And he said, all because I tried to grab my wallet in the middle of the highway. And you know the thought that came to me? How many times we put ourselves in a precarious position, reaching for the money, trying to grab the next dollar. And guess what happens? We end up tearing up our lives by trying to grab just one more dollar. Oh, my folk, my friend, it's not worth it to have all of that. Freely give and let the Lord open up the windows of heaven. If you try to do it with your own strength, you know what happens? You just make a mess of things. And at some point you turn around. I can tell you so many different stories, but 
as we mentioned this morning, this, this Murdoch trial, I didn't even, I didn't even know it was, I, I haven't had time to listen, keep up with all this. But I could tell you so many stories being in the legal field and people that have money to burn and their kids are on drugs and they're on their fourth wife and they got a big house and it's empty because there's nothing, there's no love. It doesn't matter. None of it matters. Leave the wallet in the road. But protect what's really valuable. Stand to your feet. I feel like God's just calling us to move beyond just our own natural barriers and to move into a spirit realm to say, God, whatever it takes, I want to be able to live a generous life. So many times you can live a generous life and then trouble comes and you think, no, those principles don't work. I've been given, I've been doing, and how did this happen? It's not over with yet, folks. Life is a series of tests. Guess what? God wants to know, do you love Him more than anything else? you love Him more than your possessions? you love Him more than your relationships? If you can put God first and say, Lord, I'm going to be generous with my heart for you, I'm going to tell you what, there's no limitation to what God can do. I said there's no limitation to what God can do. I believe in these last days that there's going to be an incredible revival that's going to sweep the world. That's why we're working on all these different crusades and global harvest in motion and trying to put together the infrastructure. I'm not going to be able to keep doing all this, but I'm just trying to put the system in place. And I believe the millennials are going to take this to a... There's so much hunger with young adults in our churches and in our nation. I I, I believe there's a revival. The Bible talks about how that latter rain is going to be greater than the former rain. This the little things that we've heard about in the news and so forth. It's just going to be a it's just a drop in the bucket to what God's going to do. But here's what I believe. I believe God's trying to find places that He can bless His people. He can trust us with abundance. He wants to trust us with abundance. And all of this revival that's going to take place, it's going to have to be funded. But you know what's going to happen? God's going to find places where He can bless. And when He does, it's going to funnel into the work of God. It's going to funnel into revival. It's going to funnel into God opening up the windows of heaven upon us. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of it. And the only way I can be a part of it is for me to prove to my Savior that His, His work is greater than anything that I could ever have personally. God wants to do that for everybody in this building. Would you step out where you're standing? Would you come down to this altar? We're not going to have a long altar call because I've gone way too long. And I apologize for that, but I wanted to get these principles to you. But I do want us to pray together before we leave. And I just want to pray a, a prayer of blessing upon every family, every home. Oh, God, you've been so good to us, Lord. I just felt such a move of the Holy Ghost this morning when they were singing that song. 
about all my life you've been faithful. I think about how good God has been. And I think, Lord, how could I even be worthy to be trusted with blessings? But I'm going to tell you something, folks. There's nothing that's closer to the heartbeat of God than souls being saved. And if you stay focused on souls being saved, whatever I got to do, whatever I got to do, I want to see more people saved. I want to see the name of Jesus lifted up in this world. I want to see the name of Jesus lifted up in this community. If you can have a heart to say, Lord, whatever it takes, God, if you can use anyone, you can use me. But, oh, God, I want to see this gospel spread to the whole world. I wonder right now, I don't, I don't, everybody's, you know, different stations and different places in life. And, you know, I don't know where you are individually. I, I know everybody's got financial challenges, but I know last year when we talked about being set free in 23, the Lord just kept putting this subject of financial bondage in my mind and in my spirit. So I assume there's a lot of people dealing with financial bondage or I wouldn't have felt impressed. But I do believe this with all my heart that if we can trust Him, God's going to break some chains people have been fighting with for a long time. I said He's going to break some chains. He's going to bring freedom. He wants to do that. And the only thing that's required of us is to say, God, I'm going to express my love to you. There, there, like I said, there'll be opportunities down the road. God will we'll challenge you to do some sacrificial things. But tonight, I wonder if we could just say, Lord, I give everything. I put it all on this altar, Lord. And I say, God, you are first above everything else in my life. You're first. And I want to be able to prove my love for you. Would you do that? Would you just make that commitment? Would you raise your hands and your voices? And would you say that, Lord, I put you first. You're in first place. I want you to be on the throne of my life. You pray that. And I want to pray a, 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 a prayer of blessing. Lord. I pray for this great congregation. Oh, what great people. You have blessed us, Lord, with such good people. People that give sacrificially. People that give to go. People that give to support orphanages and medical clinics and missionaries and all of these different causes. Oh, God, you have been so good to us. Oh, Lord, I know the enemy would like to try to come in and steal the joy that you have put in your people's hearts and minds. I just pray, God, a blessing upon homes and families and marriages. I pray, God, a blessing upon our children, O oh Lord. I pray a double portion, Lord, of your presence. Let it be in every home, Lord. Where there's chaos, I pray, Lord, for peace that would come. Where there's hurt, Lord, I pray that you would bring the bomb of Gilead and that you would bring peace, Lord, in the midst of the storm. That, oh God, you would replace hate with love. That, oh God, you would bring joy where there is no joy. Where there's pain and sadness and where there's pressure and hurt. Oh God, you would bring the freedom of being in your presence. Oh God, I pray a blessing upon the finances of everybody that's in this altar. Oh God, I pray you would open up the windows of heaven. Oh God. I pray you'd pour out a blessing that we can't contain. We pledge ourselves to you, Lord. We pledge to live by biblical principles and to say, oh God, whatever it takes, I will give my all.
I commit it all into your hands right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, I commit it all into your hands, O oh God. Oh Lord, let no weapon formed against us prosper, O oh God. Let no weapon formed against us prosper, O oh God. I pray for a healing in our homes. I pray, O oh God, for there to be a restoration, for things to be restored, O oh God. I pray for the hand of God upon every desperate, unworkable situation. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. We commit it unto you, Lord. We commit it unto you, Lord. What a great God you are. What a great God you are. God bless you. I promise you I wouldn't hold you long down here at the altar. But I just feel like the Lord is just wanting to wrap his arms of love around us. Reassure us. God's got his hand upon us. Why don't you hug your brother, sister, tell him that you love him. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.